0: Law enforcement in general is a difficult job, both mentally and physically. And every now and then, we kind of need some fine tuning to help us get through it. Quentin, I'm um, turning around. I was driving down Quentin, I'm turning around and see if I can find him again. This is at Columbus, subject to 1074, electronic
1: under viewers. NCJA 1014.
0: So we're going to begin a conversation on wellness, remembering, of course, that wellness is just not about the physical body, but about our mental states as well. Hello and welcome to the North Carolina Justice Academy 1014 Podcast. I'm your host, Kirk Puckett. My guest today is Dr. Diane Miller, who is an emergency physician at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. She serves as the medical director for the North Carolina State Highway Patrol medical director for the Durham Technical Community College EMS program and assistant medical director of Orange County's Emergency Medical Services. She is also a reserve special agent with the North Carolina Alcohol Law Enforcement. When she's not working, which I don't know when that would ever be, she is spending time with her family and her three dogs. Dr. Miller, welcome to our podcast. So glad to have you.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: You know, I think if... If you're on LinkedIn, they probably charge you extra for the amount of information that you have to pull out. Absolutely amazing how you're able to do all of these things. But I was totally unaware that the Highway Patrol had a medical director or even had a need for a medical director. So let's begin our conversation with talking about that role and how you function with the Highway Patrol.
1: Well, the Highway Patrol has had a medical program for over 20 years now that was started by Dr. Thomas Griggs. Um, We're very unique in this country. I believe that we are the only highway patrol to have an on-site medical staff and medical office. Um, And we do a wide variety of services. We do basic physicals for our applicants as well as annual physicals for our troopers, of which there's almost 1,800. In addition to that, though, we do provide medical direction for our EMS program. We have about 160 EMTs across the state who are also troopers. Um, SBI agents, ALE agents, um, and members of other state organizations. In addition, um, our medical staff will provide support at special events like protests, U.S. Open, World Equestrian Games. We provide support to the special response teams. Um, And one of the things that I do really enjoy doing is in the afternoons, I typically hold appointments so that I can have one-on-one time with Troopers who are dealing with um, different uh, mental health issues, including critical illness management, marital issues, depression, anxiety, really give them that opportunity to have one on one counseling with somebody who has a better understanding of what they do.
0: And I, and I think I would be remiss if I didn't kind of push the pause button just a moment and ask you for kind of a layman's definition to wellness. I think typically when we hear that word, we're thinking about diet. Exercise and more about the physical body. So, and, and I think you touched on some of those things for just a moment, but kind of give us a, a, a more broad layman's term of what wellness is and what it's all about. So,
1: there's a lot of different aspects to wellness, some of which you've already touched on. So, one of our roles is really to focus on the physical wellness. So, looking at annual physicals to make sure that labs are where they need to be, that we're t- uh, having conversations about hearing loss, about blood pressure. Um, But it also gives us an opportunity to talk with them about their family components to make sure that they have a good social support system to get them through their day-to-day work life. Um, We talk about their spiritual side. Um, There are many troopers who um, are very religious and very involved in their church communities or other um, religious organizations. Um, We also talk about their financial wellness. Um as well as their mental wellness. And so there's just so many components to wellness that we can touch on with that one-on-one time with them um, that it's really important that they maintain so they can have a full, healthy career, as well as the time after retirement.
0: And I'm assuming as well that with 1,800 troopers on the roads throughout the state of North Carolina, this is not something you attempt to tackle alone.
1: No. And so I do have an amazing uh, staff. So we have four other physicians that work with us as well as um, an amazing nurse and office assistant. We have the support of the command staff from the highway patrol as well. And so really all the equipment, all the resources that we need are provided to us so that we can best serve our patients.
0: And And are these services dispersed throughout the state so that a guy working in Cherokee County doesn't have to drive down to Raleigh?
1: So they do unfortunately have to drive to us right now. We're hoping at some point to be able to do some remote access as well. Obviously, for special events, we do travel, Mm -hmm. um, and so I do travel across the state quite a bit. Um, But it just gives them a chance to come back to campus, and we do try to coordinate that as much as we can with other activities that they have on campus. Um, But the reason that we are in Garner is because that's where our cadets are Sunday nights through Friday afternoons. And so if they have any needs, especially early morning with PT sessions, um, they do have that medical care available.
0: Let's kind of delve into it a, a little bit harder and talk about some of the stress and pressures that you see on officers. I know that our audience is going to be primarily law enforcement, and some of them are sitting there going, well, I kind of already know this. But I think there's some different components that sometimes when you're going through your day-to-day job and you're going through your day-to-day role that you don't really think about are playing on you, but they are in fact.
1: So... There's a wide variety of um, stressors and pressures that our law enforcement community faces. It can range anywhere from an isolated event like a crash with a fatality um, or someone involved with it that reminds you of a a family member or a loved one and so really can personalize that event. But also just as as difficult to deal with is the day-to-day stressors and so dealing with shift work, not sleeping well um, because you're constantly on rotating shifts of just being so busy, and I mean, all of our careers, whether it's medicine or law enforcement, are becoming increasingly busy. Um, So we have increased calls for service, increased enforcement, and all of that responsibility will really add up over time. Um, And so, and then on top of that, we also have natural disasters that we deal with not infrequently in this state, and so while people are helping our community, their homes are also being destroyed, and so that's led to a big component for our first responders and law enforcement specifically.
0: So help me understand how all of those things begin to affect a trooper or a law enforcement officer's mental and physical health.
1: From a physical standpoint, you're constantly working from the time you get to work until the time you leave. You are in cars for long periods of time, and so you don't have the opportunity to exercise or even really stretch your legs much during your shift. In addition, you also don't have time to stop for a quality meal. And so, uh, you know, we're dealing a lot with obesity and high blood pressure and heart disease as a result of those poor habits. People get home and, you know, after working their second job, because a lot of law enforcement jobs don't pay as well as they really should be paid, they're working their second job or third job, they have to deal with family obligations. And before you know it, there's no time to cook meals, to prepare for the week. There's no time to go get additional exercise or fresh air. And there's really no time to decompress. And so all of that's going to add up over time. And we're really seeing an increase in the first 5 to 10 years after retirement of heart disease, of depression, of substance abuse. And that's really taking a toll on our law enforcement professionals. There's a study out of Buffalo um, which looked at police officers there at their lifespans um, and their health issues, especially after retirement, and compared them to the general population in the U.S., and they were seeing um, some links to that career in law enforcement of decreasing your lifespan. So really, I mean, the shift work and the the constant stressors and the inability to really care for yourself properly does take a toll on us.
0: All right, so you mentioned retirees. Is, is your services are still available after a trooper retire?
1: One of the focuses that I've had um, over the last year, and actually was speaking um, to some troopers about this, helping our folks to prepare for retirement, not in the last couple of months, but several years out. So what are their goals gonna be? Are they gonna have another job? Are they gonna do a volunteer opportunity? What is gonna be their, their new identity after they retire from the patrol? talking with them about making sure that they have a primary care physician and that they're starting to get regular physicals. We recommend it annually at 40, um, but all of our physicals are age-based and need-based. Um, also talking w- about what their support system is going to be. Do they have a mentor, somebody who's retired in the last few years, who can give them some guidance on what they're going to be feeling now that their sense of purpose goes away? Do they have good family support? Have they financially set aside money so that they can live comfortably? after they retire. So we really try to start having these conversations a couple years out, um, and that's really going to be one of the focuses of our medical staff going forward.
0: In your role, I'm sure you get to see uh, the good and the evil of individuals physically. So my experience has been I see guys who are coming out of BLET who obviously have had to train hard and eat well in order to pass POPAT. And those first five years, they they continue that. They're working out, they're lifting weights, they're they're walking, running, doing all the things that they can. And then I see guys, as you mentioned earlier, in those kind of last five years, it seems to be there's a, there's a peak or a, a turning point where a guy just goes, uh, I've had enough. I don't have time to do this anymore. And that's where the obesity and the high blood pressure and all those things set in. Are, are you seeing that as as you look at these guys from entry level to getting ready to retire.
1: Absolutely. And it's, it doesn't affect everybody, but a, a good portion of our group it does affect. Um, and I know that the guys always dread coming into the office because they say, Doc's just going to tell us that we're fat. Um, but that's not my, my intention at all. It's really to have an open conversation with them. And being in law enforcement myself, I think I have a better perspective than some other physicians on What is a realistic goal? And so I advise them to set small goals, look at a 5 to 10-pound weight loss in the next three months, and then at the end of that three months, now look at the next goal, talking with them about little changes that they can do to their diet. I know a lot of people are interested in some of these fad diets, and they can be very effective for quick weight loss, but are they sustainable? And so we talk about that as well. But it's, you know, it's really important to speak at a level that they're going to understand and that they're going to accept because if you say you just need to lose 50 pounds and you just need to eat better and exercise more, that's just not realistic. So setting small goals and really thinking about what their schedules are like, what their work activities and home activities are like, and how you can incorporate those changes more easily.
0: Well, you know, law enforcement in general, there's a growing amount of pressure. It's from the public. It's from the supervisory and command level uh, to to do more with less, et cetera, et cetera, you name it. And I think that all adds up to the big stress word. So how is it that you and your staff are able to help officers deal with, with stress and the pressures of the job? How do you go about doing that? Because that just seems like an enormous slash nearly impossible task.
1: I think the first step is really, with our one-on-one physical appointments, getting a chance to look at them face-to-face and ask them how they are doing. Because a lot of times people don't ask them that. If you ask them this over the phone, they're going to give you the typical answer of, I'm fine. And some of them are. And sometimes they're not. And sometimes that's that moment that they feel like they're ready to open up. Um, I've also, by building rapport with our folks um, over the years, now i'm at a point where people will call me and say, "Hey, I need help or I know this other person needs help. Can you meet with them and so that's something that I meet with them and in the afternoons I'll meet them on the weekends I'll go across the state to go meet them whatever's most convenient and I encourage significant others to come with them as well because there's a lot of information to be gathered um, from their other half um, to get a better sense of what's really going on at home and at work. So I do a lot of psychological first aid for them and really figure out what's the core issues that needs to be addressed and then find a um, what we call culturally competent provider to care for them. That's somebody who understands the job um, and is not going to visibly react to the stories that they are sharing um, because unfortunately that's happened sometimes and that can be a big deterrent for law enforcement from seeking help. Um, so we try to um, utilize all the resources we can. We have peer support, we have um, a, licensed clinicians, so social workers, psychologists, and other um, counseling degrees. Um, We talk about medications as well. And then we also look to see if there's any other resources they may qualify for. And so if they're a veteran, the VA is a huge support. If they're in the National Guard, they have the Integrated Behavioral Health System, which has 24-7 access to a clinician. And then we're working on similar programs through uh, DPS as well. We also have our emergency chaplains, which are a huge support, and they love to go and ride with our troopers. Um, they will show up the hospitals. They'll show up at funerals. They'll show up even at our, our training functions. Um, so they're also a great support as well. But it's really about being creative and figuring out what is going to work best for our folks to get them the help that they need.
0: Well, along those lines, I don't want to throw my entire gender under the bus. However, as a male, I find it... Somewhat stereotypical that we have issues, pardon the pun, kind of pulling the trigger when we need help. We're hesitant to say, Well, yeah, maybe I do, but more likely I and a lot of folks in my law enforcement circle will say, I got this. I got it. I can manage it. And maybe I'm talking one on one with a guy who's just a friend or a coworker who's really not qualified. How do you go about saying, to that individual that you know, maybe somebody has said, we need to watch, this guy is acting a little different, there's been a family situation, there's been a crisis, he's seen his first fatality accident. How do you go about getting someone, I, I guess, talked into coming to see you or someone on your staff for help?
1: I think the number one thing is just time and being present at a lot of patrol events. Um, I I go to funerals, I go to the hospital, I go to special functions, I go to the graduations, and so unfortunately I get to see them from the time that they apply all the way through to retirement. So that can be helpful just because they get to know me, and it took some time to get to that point. One thing that we're doing now is really reaching out to um, first sergeants and above to let them know what services we have available and let them know what are the warning signs. So if you notice that one of your stellar employees is now calling out a lot, that they're showing up late, that their work's getting sloppy, maybe they're really short-tempered and they were never like that before, that's something to sit down with them and have a conversation. And if you don't feel comfortable with that, then they send them to me. And nobody has to know why. It's completely confidential. This is even though um, I'm affiliated with the patrol When we're in that office, it stays between me and that patient. And so, and then there's also just the peer support, and we're very fortunate to have the member's assistance team, which is a unique group of peers within the patrol that most often have been through some sort of experience, whether it was an isolated event or the cumulative stress has affected them and their families, and now they've learned from that and want to share those coping tools with their coworkers. And then we also have other programs like North Carolina Law Enforcement Assistance Program and our our peers in neighboring states like South Carolina, Virginia, and Georgia, um, which also provide another level of peer support, um, not only to first responders, but also to their families.
0: Well, I think that confidentiality that you mentioned is so key to making this thing work because, again, throwing my gender under the bus, we worry that... Our supervisors, our coworkers, or whomever we come in contact with will find a substandard that they'll think, oh, Puckett's not pulling his weight anymore. And now he's gone to seek the services of Dr. Miller. Wow. So I guess there's some conversation that takes place, as you say, between you and the door of, of how to deal with that as well. And I guess more than anything, Dr. Miller, it's kind of an ego thing.
1: Absolutely. You know, and I I get frustrated with that old mentality of it's just part of the job, deal with it, because it's not just part of the job. Nobody is superhuman in this business. As amazing as law enforcement officers are and first responders in general for what they face every single day, it will weigh on you eventually in some way. Um, And so it's just really important to finally recognize when you get to that point that, you know, you need to talk to somebody, and there's no shame in that. You know, we've had people come and say, you know, I'm ready to quit. And I say, you know what? You have spent your entire career saving up all of your PTO, all of your sick leave, so you can retire early. But guess what? If you don't make it to retirement, what's the point? So I encourage them, you know, if we need to, take some time off. Enjoy your family. Enjoy your life a little bit. And if you choose to come back, amazing. And if you choose not to come back, that's amazing too. But you need to just be able to step back for a moment and get a fresh perspective. And the other thing, too, is that with counseling, you know, people feel like it's a sign of weakness to ask for help, but actually it's a sign of strength. And so it's really important to figure out what is just cycling through your head and be able to put that somewhere else. And so counseling can be a huge resource for that. Medications sometimes are appropriate as well, and I know that's a big barrier. A lot of law enforcement officers think if they're on medications, they cannot be a police officer, and that's absolutely not true. It can help to make you more focused. It can help to cut some of the edge off of the depression and the anxiety, um, the anger. um, That just builds up throughout a career.
0: So as, as we look at this total package of both mental and physical stressors, as well as the overall wellness, what recommendations can you give an officer who's, who's dealing with those issues other, other than the obvious? Go do something about it. What are the, what are the things that you all try to target most to, to get officers to, to come to that table and do some of these things that we've been talking about?
1: Um, so I think just the preventative care in the beginning. Um, we re- reach out to the cadets when they are in training and let them know about what types of things they're going to face in their career. What are the the warning signs for when they may not be handling it in the best way? Um, But really, prevention is one of the biggest things. Um, Letting them know what resources are available and encouraging them to really have a good network outside of work as well. Because if all you do after work is talk about work, you never really get to escape it and decompress. Well, and I
0: think, too, in law enforcement, that's what we tend to do. We do tend to to leave work, talk about work, associate with people who are co-workers. And one of my former supervisors told me a long time ago, it's really more healthy for you to have friends outside of the circles of law enforcement. And so I really made a conscious effort to do that. But what I found was my friends outside of law enforcement wanted to talk about what? My job. (laughs) Because you know, there's always, they're thinking some great story is available that I'm able to tell, and I don't want to discourage them from doing that, or you get that phone call from a friend that says, oh, okay, so what happened out on Interstate 85 this morning? I saw all these cars, and it's like, it's almost like you can't escape from it. So what what recommendations do you have for, for guys to, to help them get outside of it? I'm sure you know, there's some hobbies, some other things that you can do that are that are more beneficial than dealing with law enforcement 24-7.
1: There definitely are, and we um, touch on that during our physicals. We actually have a line on their intake forms for what are your hobbies, what do you do outside of your job. And so for some of them it's spending time with their family. We have a lot of folks that have kids, especially young kids, Um, and so it's really important that they set aside some time to go to the baseball games and the cheerleading competitions um, they, a lot of people will um, be members of religious organizations. So we've got a lot of Sunday school teachers, um, church deacons. Some of them have even become pastors and have done counseling after retirement as well, and then uh, also other jobs. So you know, it, it, you don't just because you've done a career in law enforcement doesn't mean that later on you need to do a second career in law enforcement. You have a lot of skills that you learn that you can apply to other activities. Um, but we do have a lot of folks that have landscaping businesses, construction businesses, um, they're electricians, they um, we even had some involved with funeral homes. So there's a wide variety of other activities and other jobs that our, our folks are involved with. And so I think it's just really important to find your identity outside the patrol. It's a career. It's an amazing career. But it's not all-encompassing. It's not the only part of your identity. You have to figure out who else you are.
0: Well, you mentioned that family component of guys saying, well, I'd like to spend time with my family. That too brings off yet another chapter of law enforcement is the stress and pressure of trying to balance the job with the family. Because there are going to be occasions when you have to work, but there's somebody's soccer game or there's somebody's birthday or a holiday. So How do you help guys deal with those things other other than saying, yeah, it is a job, go deal with it? You're not there. I know that. But there's got to be something in place that helps guys and ladies deal with that that family stress, you know, because somebody's kind of tapping you on the shoulder and going, well, why can't you ask off?
1: So, you know, I'm in the same boat being on shift work in the emergency department as well as my other jobs. And so I, I think I can truly say to them that I understand what they're experiencing because I miss holidays, I miss weekends, I miss all kinds of family events as well. And it's really challenging and I think it's just important to have frank conversations with your family. Um, They will oftentimes cycle in their head what they think is going on at your work and you need to find out what they want to know Um, because you don't want to tell them too much, but if you tell them too little, they're going to think worst-case scenario. So I think it's important to have those conversations. And I think that, you know, as as short-staffed as all law enforcement is right now, um, you still need to figure out on your days off um, how you can make the most of it and really setting aside at least a couple of hours every week of just protected time for you and your family. It takes a lot of extra work. You're going to be exhausted. You're going to be cranky. Maybe stressed out from what's going on at work. But you have to put all of that aside for at least a couple of hours and say, "This is me time," or "This is my family time."
0: There's a term that's kind of started floating to the surface a little bit in law enforcement circles and, and in emergency services called compassion fatigue. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: So, in law enforcement, just like in the emergency room, we see a lot. And especially with the way that society is leaning now in terms of very anti police, it just doesn't, the the profession just doesn't have the respect that it used to. And it's a shame because it's an amazing profession. Um, And so that constant barrage of people filming you, of yelling at you, of not listening to instructions anymore, when that used to be an automatic thing, plus everything that's going on in the media and social media where people feel like they can say whatever they want because they're anonymous behind that computer screen, it really adds a lot more pressure onto law enforcement that we've never experienced before. And, you know, over time between that stress, between the stress of just day-to-day witnessing horrific things, at some point you just have to kind of create a a cloud around yourself so that you don't internalize it. Because if you internalize it, it's just going to eat you up over time. And so I think law enforcement sometimes can come off as maybe crass or uncaring, it's, but really it's just that compassion fatigue. They just can't take everything so personally because if they do, it's just going to eventually eat them up.
0: We've touched on this, and I'm going to kind of start winding things down. I feel like I could sit here with you all afternoon and have this conversation, but um as I said, we touched on these things a little bit earlier. It's kind of like a dartboard. We've been throwing darts around. But I think as we begin to close, just to get your insight on advice, either personal or professional, to give a law enforcement officer on maintaining that balance. And I know we hear that a lot. And, and I want you to try and incorporate both the mental, mental side of that as well as the physical side of that and help our audience just go, wow, this really is real, and I really can do something about it.
1: So from a physical perspective, I would recommend getting yourself a regular doctor. I know a lot of folks just say, well, I only go to the doctor when I'm sick, and so they end up going to urgent cares or ERs, um, and you never really get that consistency of one person caring for you. And that can be an issue because then you don't have somebody that's recognizing early on the the warning signs, whether it's a physical condition or a mental health condition. Setting some time aside every single week, whether it's half an hour or an hour, for a little bit of exercise. And that can just be walking, it can be running, biking, whatever you want, going up and down the stairs. Bring your family with you and you can incorporate that into your family time. Um, But if you don't maintain some sort of physical activity, then that's where we end up with the obesity and the heart issues, the self-esteem issues. Um, Not using alcohol or other substances to self-medicate after a difficult day. It's not the right way to help you get to sleep. It's not the right way to cope with the horrors that people see. Um, And instead, finding healthier ways to deal with those issues. From the, the mental health side of things, you're not alone. There are a lot of resources, a lot of free resources. Um, If you don't know where to go, always reach out to either your personal doctor, reach out to your emergency chaplain, um, reach out to any of the the peer support groups that are available throughout the state. Um, But the sooner that we know about something, the sooner we can help point you in the right direction of those resources. Do your best to try to maintain a sleep-wake cycle. I know that's really hard for all of us, especially on shift work. Um, and hopefully supervisors will do their best to try to um, space out and not just do one week of days, one week of evenings, one week of nights, because that really does take years off of the life um, and can really affect productivity um, and the ability to cope with um, the day-to-day stressors. And, you know, thinking about from a financial perspective, I, I, you know, I think a lot of us just expect that we're going to be able to live off of our retirement um, funds and our pensions But that's not really the case, and especially if you have young kids that are going to be pursuing um, their education after high school, um, it's important for you to have those resources available, so planning early on, and then doing something, finding some sort of hobby or other job that makes you happy, um, and that gives you another component to your identity because law enforcement is a big component of it, but it's not all of who you are.
0: Dr. Miller, what an insightful discussion. And I certainly hope that our audience is going to take heed at your words and your advice, both personally and professionally. And I know you are a tremendous asset to the Highway Patrol and the other areas that you serve throughout North Carolina. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Dr. Diane Miller is an emergency physician at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. She also serves as the medical director for the North Carolina State Highway Patrol. You've been listening to the North Carolina Justice Academy 1014 podcast. We're here for you, so if there are subjects or topics that you would like for us to cover, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at ncjainformation@ncdoj.gov. at ncdoj.gov. Once again, that's NCJA, like North Carolina Justice Academy, information at ncdoj.gov. In the meantime, stay safe.
1: NCJA
0: 1014.